Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I am your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. My continuing mission on planet Earth, to search for signs of intelligence and to encourage its spread. Contributing editor Slantia Nazdrovia has just completed some field research that he is quite excited about. What field research, you might be asking? The answer is that he's been investigating the French intellectual scene, which he reports is even more vibrant and influential than ever, and he would like to let you in on what he has found. Slantja writes, If any of you young men are thinking of opening a new chapter in your life, you could do worse than to become a member of the French intellectual elite or one of their disciples in American universities. You will be especially well-suited to this enterprise if you already are cultivating and nursing feelings of rage just because you enjoy giving vent to animus. If this prospect appeals to you, let me pull your coat. First, of course, you must acquire some props. Smoke brown cigarettes, wear a beret, and be frequently seen in the company of your boyfriend. All the top male French intellectuals have boyfriends. It helps if you're gay, but there are ways around this. Use your imagination. It is reliably reported that one of the more influential early members of the movement, the movement, one Michel Foucault, as a young man, t- took his sexuality to highly imaginative extremes, although he did not really publicize it, when he would make frequent journeys to North Africa and pay young Arab boys to allow him to bugger them in a graveyard at midnight. Probably not your thing exactly, but you can certainly take inspiration from how inventive this was. Once you have the basic props, it's time to familiarize yourself with the latest trends in intellectual fashion and the accompanying jargon. If you don't yet know what heteronomy is, or how heteronomy differs from heteronymy, for example, you risk embarrassment or even ostracism. Today's intellectual fashions will be passé tomorrow, of course, but there is some continuity over time. As the various manifestations of what can broadly be called critical theory or postmodernism gradually segued from existentialism, one thing has not changed. To be a respected member of the movement, you must still express contempt and loathing for those who soil their hands in production and commerce. Portraying such people as exploiters and enemies of the people will never go out of fashion. The movement always has been and always will be the counter-revolution of the Industrial Revolution. You can oppose these evil industrialists without worrying that you will ever oppose them successfully. No one wants that. The point is just to engage in ridicule and condemnation. After all, if you were to actually succeed in hampering production and commerce, the things that make your relatively luxurious lifestyle possible would no longer be forthcoming, and you might even have to perform labor instead of just championing it. Postmodernist thinking is fairly simple to catch on to and to replicate, and I can give you a few simple tips if you decide you want to join in. A central tenet of critical theory is social construction. 
you must profess the belief that all things human, concepts, ideas, society, biology, etc., are socially constructed. This idea is not particularly remarkable. There is a trivial sense in which this is true. So you just need to make, take it a little further so that it appears to be remarkable. The usual way to take it into the remarkable zone is to assert that since everything there is has been socially constructed, then anything we can imagine can be socially constructed as long as enough people believe in it and or vote for it. Don't worry about the fact that this conclusion violates fundamental rules of logic and ignores any constraints placed upon us by nature. Logic itself is merely a social construct and reality is just a concept, so you are permitted to unbelieve whatever proves to be inconvenient. See how easy this is? You must also strive to be seen as an advocate of the people. This means that you must adopt the idea of class struggle. The idea here is that enemies of the people have exploited a power differential to construct their version of reality to the detriment of the people. You then just need to consistently advocate the removal of the enemies of the people from their positions of power and their replacement with friends of the people. Once the friends of the people have the power, they will then design and construct a new reality, and we will have heaven on earth. Or at least our grandchildren will. You must also understand the concept of deconstruction. You begin with the premise that all relationships are political, that is, power-based, and you reduce whatever particular social construct you are discussing to the power relationships that might plausibly underlie the construct. Deconstruction is not as difficult as it might sound, so do not despair. In a short time, you will catch on to how it's done. And if you are concerned that the process of deconstruction requires evidence and rigorous reasoning, do not be discouraged. It requires neither. You only have to create an appearance of plausibility, a kind of just-so story, and pepper it with the proper jargon. An accomplished critical theorist will also be able to undermine anyone who expresses a contrary opinion. An impressive recent example is an essay on freedom by a prominent American critical race theory maven. In a highly imaginative piece, strung out to impressive length, and with many polysyllabic terms and a wealth of examples, he argues that freedom means different things to different people based on the idea that different people would choose to do different things with their freedom. Sounds ridiculous at first, right? When I read this first, I remember saying to myself, I would call this sophistry, but it really isn't even good sophistry. But I have come to realize that I was missing the point. Just think of what you can accomplish with this type of argument. If you don't want to be pinned down, you can undermine pretty much anybody's argument about anything just by finding a way to demonstrate that words do not mean what they mean. Another commonly used method of undermining those who criticize you on the grounds that you are making no sense whatever, which of course will be true, but that's not the point, is to say that the critics' ideas are linked to and are entangled with something really wacko, such as far-right conspiracy theories or Nazis. 
This is a great method with proven effectiveness. You can say things like so-and-so is echoing or providing emotional energy to the conspiracy theory du jour. One thing you never want to do, of course, is to engage the critic on the merits of what they actually have said. And here's another good one by a prominent Frenchman in the movement, one Bruno Latour. In a virtuoso performance that demonstrates the lengths to which you can take the social construction argument while presenting yourself as a profound and imaginative thinker, he recently announced that bacteria did not exist before they were discovered by Pasteur. Is this a true master at work or what? Finally, what about the constraints that nature actually imposes? Any moron is aware that there are such constraints, of course. We will not live forever, and while we are alive, someone will have to produce what we consume. And nature has definitely sculpted men and women differently. There is such a thing as reality. Reality is what doesn't go away, even if you don't believe in it. Such concerns are potentially problematic if you subscribe to postmodernism. But just remember that the flip side of every problem is an opportunity. Each and every constraint that nature places upon us can be spun such that you blame a supposed ruling class for the existence of these constraints. The patriarchy is always a convenient one, and of course the oligarchy. You can make use of as many of these archies as you can imagine, and requirements for plausibility are pretty lax. Some current examples. Enforced status as mothers. As if those in power have arbitrarily de decreed that it is women and not men who must give birth and suckle the young. It has nothing to do with evolution, which has given women and not men wombs and mammaries. The male gaze. As if there is no reason connected with evolutionary processes for the fact that men enjoy looking with admiration and desire upon the beauty of a fertile young woman. I do not want to spoil it, but please have a look at the mental contortions theorists have gone through to create their explanation for the male gaze and to make it fit in with the deconstruction narrative. It's hilarious. Gentrification. This is when a developer arbitrarily targets a black neighborhood and forces the people to move by the heartless tactic of offering them high prices for their property. It has nothing to do with the impersonal forces of supply and demand and the fact that the developer is just the messenger. Gender assignment. Gender, and even biological sex, are portrayed as arbitrary social constructs, and doctors assign gender when a child is born. Assigning babies with penises to the male gender and babies with vaginas to the female gender is egregiously presumptuous. Let these examples serve as an inspiration to you. They show that no idea is off-limits just because it makes no sense. Hop aboard and you will soon be ready to make a fashionable splash on the Rive Gauche. Many thanks to Slancha for this informative essay. I invite you to have a listen to the next installment of Fascinating. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. 
You may contact me by sending an email to Senior Contributing Editor Prego Denada, pregodenada at gmail.com. Live long and prosper.